Welcome to the Greenhouse Movement Podcast. Our hope is that the conversation you hear today will both equip you and stir you as a disciple and a disciple maker. This season, Pastor Mike Patz engages in conversations with special guests to discuss the future of the church. Lean in and be ready to move. Welcome back. So excited to be with everybody talking about discipleship and the future of the church. Today we're going to talk about micro churches, and I've got two amazing disciples and micro church practitioners. One of them is Brian Sanders, the longest standing friend I have in my life, cohort of mine, and partner in in ministry for a lot of years now, at least as as we follow Jesus. The other is Matt Ulrich, one of the best disciple makers I've ever ever known. Also the micro church director. Uh, with Greenhouse. And so I'm just going to throw it out to you guys uh, to take this wherever you want to go, introduce yourself, say hello, and let's jump in this micro church conversation. Matt, we we were worried that Matt wouldn't get a chance to say much with the two of us in front of (laughs) microphones. So Matt, say a few words. (laughs) A few words. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've been really excited to work alongside of Mike and then also just kind of see how these parallel uh, just growth and ideation of microchurch happens in these two different venues. We talked a little bit about this in the last episode where Brian kind of said he started microchurch kind of away from the church, started, started to try to do something new where Mike kind of took microchurch and injected that into a traditional church model. So it's been neat to see over the past, what, 20 years now, these two variations with the same DNA really flourishing and blossoming in these different environments. And so it's been fun to watch. And even just, I'm excited to have a conversation with you guys about how microchurches look in these different expressions. Should you define it, maybe? Could we start with a definition? Because somebody maybe hasn't heard that term or has heard it but isn't sure what to make of it. Like, how would you, how do you normally... Yeah, for us, a microchurch is a worshiping community on mission. And so really that's the ecclesial minimum that we see just for church in general, honestly, whether that's a macro church or a micro church, but the expression, and this is the variance between micro church and a small group or, or a, uh, a life group or something like that. Whereas the life group is a branch that, that is a subsidiary of a Sunday gathering. It's the place to give our people on Sunday a place to have community and friends. So worship might happen there, community might happen there, but mission's not espoused there. And a lot of times it's to serve the Sunday gathering. It's like, hey, here's the discussion guide. We're going to dictate what you do in these groups. Whereas a microchurch has autonomy, they have a calling, they have purpose, they have mission that really does make that a full expression of church. It's not just an add-on on Sunday. This is a full embodied expression of the church gathering and it really does help us to define ecclesiology of yeah no this is this is church yeah let's back up on that so when we're talking about ecclesiology last time we talked about ecclesia the called out ones what the church really is we are talking when we say church worship mission and community that there's this relating to and growing in relationship with god getting on mission and and being in community with people that I think the three of us, we would use that at a pragmatic level as an ecclesial minimum, as a church minimum, which means there are many churches or micro churches or small groups or whatever you want to call them 
around the world right now as we speak. They might be one of those or two of those, but they might not be all of those. I mean, there's a lot of churches I've heard of that no one ever turns to the Lord and becomes a Christian, let's say. No one ever becomes a disciple. I, I question if that's even a church. I mean, it may have the word church on the billboard outside. I question if that's even a church. Likewise, someone might have a worship service that's more like a, a Christian concert and a TED Talk than the organic gathering of God's people. Uh, but, and, and so they might have some worship going, but there's, whether it's no mission or they maybe you've got a missions group that does a lot of mission, but there's actually no community, no disciples being made. And those are not, these are not bad things. I don't think there's anything wrong with a Christian concert. Just don't call it church. I don't think there's anything wrong with an outreach ministry. Don't call it church. The church is the worshiping community on mission. It's interesting too, because I would say even something big like greenhouse, many, many people, hundreds, thousands, whatever it is, even before you would have described or defined, like we have microchurches or microchurches are a part, I would have said that actually they were there. So if you can, on the one hand, you can say, if something is missing mission or missing community or missing Jesus, it isn't a church. Also, a lot of things we're calling church, which are big, many, many people, hundreds of people, is actually a collection of many churches. But because we haven't been brave enough to actually define what that minimum is, what 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 actually when you're looking at it, you'd have to go, I mean, that's a church or that's the church, yeah. right? So when you have hundreds, even thousands of people in in a in a a branded community, a branded set, it can be tempting to call that a church, yeah. to say that is a church when actually what you're looking at is a network of churches. There are many churches there. So even people that haven't adopted the idea of microchurches, my my experience is if you get in there and look around, there's a bunch of these things that meet that basic criteria. They love Jesus, they're really close to each other, and they do something in mission. Now, we've called it various things, outreaches or whatever, but you're looking at, and sometimes they're just completely clandestine. Like the, the senior pastor doesn't know anything about it, you know? <laughs> It's funny you're saying that. I was talking to someone from a very traditional church, and they, they led a Sunday school class. It was a Sunday school class, and they were describing this Sunday school class, and I just, I just sat there and I chuckled. I, I said, that was the best church in that entire church. In fact, that's what I finally <laughs> said, because it was clearly not just a class. They, th- this class was doing mission and they were reaching the poor and they were winning souls and they were having community and they got people together and and God was being honored and it was a church like it was not, they called it a Sunday school class isn't that interesting so so and we could talk about this too but like leadership and how our current structure is it's it's leadership is an elite thing it's very few people can actually lead in a in that bigger uh, taxonomy but but with this kind of smaller conception, realizing actually when you're looking at a church of, let's say, a thousand people, you're looking at a bunch of churches because there's so many, there's so much leadership potential. So those leaders find a way within however you structure it or whatever you, however you group people, wherever you let people lead, they'll find a way to be the church. Now, it would be nice if they, it wasn't so difficult, but even Sunday school, you, you just think if a person like you was leading a Sunday school class at some church, first first church of whatever, you probably would make it into a little church. That's the point because you're apostolic, because it's who you are, because you would want your Sunday school class to go out and put it into practice and you'd want there to be 
tight relationships. So it's interesting how the church is this almost irrepressible thing. We we want to like own it, define it, describe it, give it all these 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 frames and put on it. But actually, the church, and I would say the microchurch, as its rudiment, as its sort of base unit. I love this line of thinking just right go, now. It just goes where it goes. Yeah, you know? uh, yeah. go ahead, Matt. I think the big thing is that there needs to be an ecclesial renovation, though, because I think in the Western American church, at least, church is going on Sundays, and it is listening to someone preach, and it is worshiping and maybe lifting your hands. Good. But when we redefine church... I think that does allow for these expressions to really come forth and really to empower the apostles, to empower the people who have different varying ideas of what church might look like. And that's the beauty of the worship mission and community minimum is that church can be expressed in so many different ways and really cater to the calling and the vision that someone has. And they can kind of plant their flag in the ground and say, this is church. Who's, who's going to form the church around this calling? But we as church leaders have to redefine what that means and what that looks like, or else people won't be led into the callings that God's given them. I'll tell you where this started for me, and I'll just do a quick plug here. We're going to have a microchurch conference, a greenhouse and underground meeting with a lot of other people uh, right before a lot of the college spring breaks, like in the, in the beginning of March, the first week of March, we're having a microchurch conference. Incidentally, it is going to be hot. I mean, it is going to be... I mean, we, I, I don't think I am overstating or hyping this up at all. It's going to be an incredibly robust, uh, equipping, sharpening, and I think exciting conference that's going to have some of the best minds on microchurch. So if anyone's listening and you've got a passion for that, we'll, we'll give you more information at the end of this episode. But there, what, is it March 6th? Are we talking 6th? 3rd through the 5th. 3rd through the 5th. We've got, it's just going to be really good. But I'll probably share there, but I'm going to share this right here. My passion for microchurch started because I'm a, I'm, I'm a guy that loves missions. So I study missions around the world. I'm on, I've been on multiple missions boards where I get to talk to missionaries. And I was in one setting, and, and, I, and I, really, I, I have a very deep passion that we've got to take Jesus seriously when he said to go take the gospel to the whole world. And meaning if someone's never heard, they deserve to hear. I mean, they, they just, there, there is a burden. I do have a burden that those that have never heard the gospel once get a chance to hear it. Uh, indigenous led in their native language and their heart language in ways that are contextually appropriate, not in colonialized white Western American way that, that they get the gospel. And I was talking to a guy that was, that was from the Middle East. He was from a country where there was much persecution and, uh, and there's literally countries right now in the world that we live in where, I mean, there are less than 12 churches in the entire country, less than 50 known believers in the entire country. So there's some, there's some real work that we've got to do. But in one of these countries that is a very difficult one, there, one of the guys was getting up talking and he, he just said, hey, last year we planted 75 churches. I was like, oh my gosh, you planted 70 in that, con- like, it's hard for Americans to plant churches at all. And I said, so I just kept raising my hand. I said, wait a minute, like what? Is this a guy, native guy from the Middle East? He said, no, we didn't. I said, are you, are you exaggerating? He says, no, I'm, I'm not one of you Americans that speaks in exaggerated terms of how many people come. Like there were seven exactly in whatever the number was. It might've been 77 churches. I said, well, what are these like? He said, they're just like yours. I was like, well, that would be bad. You know, I said, no, no, for real. What are they like? He's like, it's like what, what, what is yours like? I said, worship, mission, and community. He says, that's, that's what ours are. I said, uh, but what does it look like? He said, they look like yours. 
I, I, what, what, I said, well, tell me more. He said, what do yours look like? I said, well, you know, we take communion. We, we have the scriptures. We gather around the scriptures. We hold each other accountable to that. We, we try to be missional and reach people. He said, we, that's, we do all those things. I said, what are your meetings like? And he said, they're just like yours. That, there's no, and I kept on getting him to whittle this down. I said, okay, how big are they? And that's when he said, oh, that's the real question, isn't it? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I want to know what they look like. And he said, there are all kinds of sizes. I'm like, oh, how big? He said, some of them are just as big as yours. I'm like, oh. okay, what's the smallest? What's the biggest? And what's the average? He said, the, the biggest is, you know, several hundred, you know, maybe, you know, 100, maybe 120. He said, the smallest is four. I said, what's the average? He said, 12 to 15. I said, they're small groups. And he points at me, he says, don't you call them small groups. They're churches. In heaven's eyes, they're churches. So we call them what they are. And it was really a powerful moment to me. He said, we don't, just, we don't go do Bible studies. We do, we do the church. I came back from that missions meeting. And that's when I, that's when I came back to our staff. I'm like, guys, let's, let's just shut down micro churches. Let's shut down, or shut down small groups. Let's just go plant churches. God has promised that the church will prevail. There's no promise on like a small group. And I'm not against a small group. I'm not against a Bible study. I'm not against a good whatever. But I came to the point, which is really to the point you were making, Brian. Let's just call it what it is. Because that's what this guy said. He said, in heaven's eyes, what we are doing with those 12 people is as legitimately a church as what we're doing with 120 people. But in America's eyes, the 120 counts as a church. The 12 only counts as a small group. We call them both what they are. Their churches. And some <clears throat> something happens too, I think, when when we capitulate or when we um, minimize that. You know, so life group, small group, that sort of euphemism. Yeah. Um we we th- we think, and this this is a this is a problem that we have in general in the West. We think we're doing our people a favor by making the work of mission easier, dumbing it down. down. But actually we're not, we're hurting them. We're hurting the cause. We're hurting the people they may reach or wouldn't reach because we're trying to make it sort of more palatable or more accessible. And the truth is we're stealing from them the sacredness of it, the beauty of it. You know, the, the, I, I was a part of a parachurch ministry for 12 years and we weren't supposed to do communion and we weren't supposed to do baptisms because of this sort of truce, this relationship with the church proper, you know, parachurches on the side. And so we just, we had this sort of understanding that you guys keep funding us and we promise we'll never serve communion or baptize people, you know. (laughs) We won't do sacraments. You had me come speak at one and we baptized a bunch of people. We did. We did it anyway. And it was like, oh, we're in trouble. (laughs) But we, and you used to try to find ways around it, like find somebody who's ordained, you know, and bring them over and then just stand there while we baptize these, these students or whatever. But you know, I, th- I think you realize at some point, like, we are, that's our birthright. Yeah. Like, the sacramental life of the church is, is precious. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the things that makes it life-giving, makes it worth doing. So, so if you tell me, Brian, do you want to lead a small group that's branded as a part of our church? That's, that's an invitation. That's an honor. That's good. But if you say, would you like to plant a church? And this is the shift you're talking about. Say, so actually, it's, it's very similar mechanics, very similar time constraints, whatever. But, but actually, what we want you to do is plant the church in your home or your workplace or that sports field or wherever, that bar. We want you to plant a church. 
then suddenly what you've asked me to do is just filled up with all this meaning and significance and it's laden with responsibility. So now the expectations of, of somebody leading a church, what I would consider an elder, you know, like, um, you know, Titus, first Timothy, that's now on me. And so, so, so what you've asked of me is a much higher calling, a much higher expectation. And, and it's more likely that I would live up to that higher expectation. If you want to, if you want to make a low expectation, low call, low commitment. By the high way, the, call, the qualifications in, in the scriptures for elders, here, here's, here's the qualification. Be a disciple. Be, be somebody whose life is worth repeating. Yeah, who, who has a nice reputation, takes care of the people in their life. Yeah, who knows the word. You know, it's a character right. description, not gifting description, but a character description. But, but, that, but to be able to say, oh, you are, you're, you're planting a church. And the, the weight and glory of that, that you are now somebody that traffics in the sacramental life of the kingdom of God. Yes, the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup, the baptism, but also the the sharing of the word. We talk about Acts 2, you know, those those devotional pieces. That now becomes part of your life, and you see yourself as something utterly different. So it it also goes to an issue of identity for the leader. And what we've, I think we've cheated our leaders by not acknowledging. So, so to your point, that's a church, let's honor it, and to your friend's point. But also to the people that we're asking to lead, high calls lead to high commitments. Low calls lead to low commitments. I like that a lot. I, it, it's such an intriguing and, to me, a fascinating, adventurous thought that so many people are actually called to be church planters that don't know it. You don't, you don't have to quit your job to go become a church planter. But if someone says, hey, man, what do you, you know, Holly, what do you do with your life? Man, I plant churches. I mean, that, that's a wild thought. And it reminds me of prophecy, you know, New Testament prophecy. Someone was asking me my theology on that. I said, my opinion of prophecies is that I believe in the gift of prophecy. I believe prophecy is much more common now than it was in the Old Testament and much less authoritative, meaning if someone gives me a prophecy, I'm not writing it down and adding it to the Bible. Much, le- much more common, much less authoritative. I think people worry and shy away from this concept of, wait a minute, what, what should I be thinking? And, and we got to be a little honest here. The Bible is nuanced in its usage of the word church. So Jesus doesn't even mention the word church until Matthew, what is it, 16? It, you know, when it's in the teens of Matthew that he, he's done a lot of ministry before he ever drops the word church, meaning he talked a lot about the kingdom. So the church needs to manifest the kingdom. But that church, is, it is those called out ones, and he used a word that was used in, in Roman culture where there would be assemblies, like when you had an assembly and they would gather together if you know, an important person came or whatever. But you do have several uses. So one use is the, the church universal. There is a church that's across the entire globe for all of time. So when we're talking about planting a church, Jesus is the ultimate church planter. He established his church. He is building his church. He established one big capital. We do believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So there is a, an initial big picture. There is only one church. We, all of us, fully affirm that. There is also, you get a nuance in the book of Revelation. The only place you really see in Revelation, you don't see them talking about multiple congregations within a city. He would just say to the church in a city, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Laodicea. So you do see precedent for multiple churches, plural now, uh, but over a city. You never see, though, what you hear, what you're seeing now. So my, my point is, 
right now you might say here's first baptist church here's first lutheran church here's greenhouse church here's underground church book of revelation wise it it would be like the church in tampa the church in gainesville so we are we already believe i'm just saying churches already are functioning at a level that's that we're we're using the word recognizing it's something different than what's explicitly used in scripture point yeah catholicity that theological idea that there is this big capital C church and we all know that that has to work itself out into a context. Right. right? So we're cool with that. So same thing, go back to my point about greenhouse or or any church. You're actually, if you're looking at a hundred people, you're looking at multiple churches and that's okay. And, and actually why would you, why would you, you know, hide that from yourself? (laughs) Um, Cause there, you're not, you're not, you know, there's no conflict there, but in Catholicism. But there is for pastors, and, and that's where I can speak as someone that's coming from a truth. This is where I would say the systems thinking needs to, borrowing back on last time, one of the reasons I think we're having such malformed disciples is a misunderstanding of what church is, which is God's only plan. That The only plan is the church. There is no plan B. This is the plan. But many pastors, I think, are intimidated at the thought of, I, I'm not letting someone start up a church within my church because that'd be multiple visions, and, and two visions is division, and division is against unity, which is, it, and all those things sound logical, but it's all ridiculous where, I mean, if there was any pastor listening to this, I would be begging you to reconsider the fact of your church, as you're thinking of it, is a cluster of churches and what an exhilarating thought that your leadership gets to do that, that gets to be a part of that, because you're already, you're already organized in a way that's not complete. If, and I'm not saying unbiblical. I'm saying what we're doing now is already extra biblical. The, the minute that there are two church billboards in a given city, we've already gone outside the way Scripture describes some of these realities, which was to the church of Gainesville, Tampa, Jacksonville, Orlando, whatever, we're already doing that, which is why we need not be intimidated by, just like the church universal is not in any way intimidated or, or somehow minimized by greenhouse, greenhouse church is not minimized in any way by the hundreds of micro churches that we have. And in fact, I think good leadership is when we would just, just like every individual macro church can have a distinct vision, the beauty of a church full of many micro churches that have all these different visions pulling off all these different kingdom exploits as God has placed things in people's hearts. Whereas right now people jump from church to church, church hopping. If people only realized if you, if we had a micro church understanding that you are a church planter, that desire that's in your heart, that passion, that calling that you have, it does have an outlet here and it's going to be in your micro church, maybe not in the macro, but in the micro church, the sky is the limit on what could happen with your call. Well, and, and that leader has to let go of this monolithic idea that I, I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor of this church and actually acknowledge that in the 21st century, you're meant to be the leader of a network of churches. Yeah. And it, even just a simple adjustment to the way you understand your call or your job or whatever, that, that just like we would have thought, I'm supposed to be a shepherd of this flock of believers— just just take a small step to think I'm actually supposed to be the shepherd of this flock of churches. And that can radically change the way you see the work you do, what work you do, the staff you hire, how you use money, how you design your buildings. 
it, that small little adjustment to the way you understand what you're doing. And I would argue that's always been the case or should have always been the case, but certainly in the 21st century, this is what we, this is what we have. Churches that are multiple hundreds of people are meant to be networks, and we have to start thinking of that. You're not, it's not just a single church. It is a network of smaller churches, which then means we probably need a different set of skills for the people that lead those things. We need a different expectation on who we're looking for. Um, so something like preaching would be less important, still important. Of course, it's a valuable, important gift. But it's not the only thing that galvanizes or gathers people. Now you need to be somebody who's empathetic. You have to be somebody who's a good coach. You have to be somebody who's empowering, who's generous. You know, these, it's just, it, to me, it's a, it's a new job description is being shaped in our time. Not just that the church is meant to be different, but actually the people that lead it also. Yeah, and I think that just also just, it redefines the purpose of church and who comes to church. Because I think a lot of times church leaders in traditional churches will bemoan, oh, this great leader, he doesn't even want to be a part of the church. Yeah, because passing out bulletins is not going to scratch his CEO itch. Like he has great ideas that he wants to implement. And if it is holding your control and saying, oh, well, it's it's my vision. Like you've got to come to my church and implement my vision. That's a very non-biblical paradigm of church because we're supposed to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so if that's the case, we need to make those collective pockets where people can come and feel empowered and create those spaces where they can figure out their calling and their purpose and really having a space to explore that and then do something about it. Because if not, then the church is going to lose some of the best minds and the best practitioners of our day because there's not a space for them. It already has. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that, is, yeah. that is what's happening. And, and I think that's really the question that I want this episode to make super clear, kind of the why this matters about micro churches. What is it, and, I, and we've already said some of it, but what is it that's at stake? You know, what, what are we missing if we don't get this right? Like, what are we missing? I don't care how good the music is at a macro church or how, how great the preaching is. I mean, someone could be TD Jakes caliber preaching and they can be elevation caliber worship music. You know, they can have all of that. What is at stake if we don't nail this? If we don't get this right, what is the, what is, what are some of the problems that frankly, the micro church skin and, and innovation does address. You know, I, I think Brian can, you can probably speak more to this, but this next generation is a culture of producers. Um, they, they want to produce, they want to be a part of creating something. Um, and the consumer mindset of the American church, that consumer Christianity is just not appealing. So if, if we don't get this right, w without being too broad stroke, like we're gonna lose the entire generation that's coming up. And I think that microchurches really are, it's the ecclesial protest of the next generation when it comes to the evangelical Sunday machine. Like if we don't get that right, we lose. We lose all of these young entrepreneurial apostolic people who want to play a part in something significant. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And if the church doesn't give them that space, and this is where I think microchurches really do 
fill that void in the spiritual biblical setting of no 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 this is this is where kind of like we talked about the last episode this is where you actually live the life that you've been looking for this is that giving yourself away in a way that's going to fulfill you in the deepest parts of your core but we just haven't given them a foundational platform to even launch into or explore these different callings and passions that they have and the microchurch i think is is the answer to a lot of those problems and I I couldn't agree more. I th- I think that the 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 way in which microchurches mobilizes people develops them as disciples and leaders. It's like if you really want to be a disciple, the best discipleship plan or process I could put you in is go start a little church. I just think that's gonna you're gonna learn how to pray. You're gonna learn how to share your faith. You're gonna learn what faith is. You're gonna learn how to probably raise money and deal with conflict and care for people. And it's like all the, all the, the bits of what it means to be a disciple, you, you have to figure out, you know, when you're dropped into the water of mission. But even though that's true, I, I think the, the flip side of the coin for that is that the, the, the possibly the real, the ultimate value of microchurches is mission. It's about the people that don't know Jesus, who don't go to churches, who won't go to churches, who, who who are who are sheep without a shepherd, who are helpless and hopeless, as Jesus would have defined them. And the sending, the reason why Jesus is sent by God, by the Father in the first place, and the reason why he sends his people, his friends, his students, is because of this love he has for the world, the wayward, lost, hurting, broken world. And if we don't get this right, if we don't empower our people, then there's no way that the gospel will find its way into all these little niche communities, right? But if we can mobilize every kind of Christian, every kind with every kind of calling and every kind of skill set and every kind of opportunity, then it's possible to imagine that the church could go to where every kind of person is. In other words, we, because we want to reach the world, you made the point earlier about contextualization. It's like every person has a right to hear the gospel in their language in their context. And the only way that's going to happen is not by one church with one platform and one speaker trying to reach thousands of people. It's disrespectful to the diversity of that community, right? So the only way, let's say I have, and I do, I I have a child who struggles with mental health and addiction, right? And, and that is a certain kind of pain, that I experience. And when I meet a parent who has a child in addiction and you lock eyes with that person, there is an understanding there that you don't want to have. (laughs) It's a fraternity that you're a part of that you never wanted to be a part of, but you are. And there's a way in which you just, you just get each other. And there's a sharing of sadness and a sharing of, of burden and a sharing of that pain. And the truth is I am, I didn't want to be, but I'm uniquely equipped then to imagine and to pursue people in that who suffered with that and to see a church formed among people like that, to plant a church there and to be able to present Jesus, the gospel, the hope of the kingdom, the possibility of the reign of Christ Jesus over us where addiction is gone, you know, where we don't see our kids suffer and deteriorate before our eyes, you know. So if we think of it as a missionary uh, concern, 
then we're saying, well, how are we going to reach our city? How are we going to reach every kind of person? And like Seth Godin's idea, there are no more mass markets. There is no mass market. There's just tribes. There's just niche, little pockets of people. So then how do we how do we make sure that we've taken somebody who has a calling and they love Jesus and they have a little community and they go into a context and they, they find a way to share Jesus and the hope of the kingdom in that language to that group of people in a way that they can understand? And that, to me, may be even more important to what microchurches can deliver for us, because ultimately, to your point, there is no other plan. I think you said there's no there is no plan B. So, well, what's the plan B for skateboarders in Gainesville, or for travel soccer teams? Exactly, or for for you know I don't know homeless veterans, or there, there's all these there's all these sort of communities that God died for, that he loved them so much that he gave his only son, that any of them that would believe in him wouldn't die, wouldn't wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. And he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. This love that drives him into this harsh, dark, horrible world, which would reject him and, and beat him and kill him. You know, that's our individual we've understood the individual missionary thing like okay i'm gonna go and be that somewhere to some place but can we understand even the church itself has little missionary callings and needs to be deployed and brian i i think this and this is where i think we're going to land this episode this concept of the mission and what what's at stake with micro churches interestingly i really do believe it is it's the mission of god that it's the the missio dei the the missionary god who has a heart for this world i was I was with some missionaries and, and reading some missions materials from this group. And, and one of these guys had really made an impact in his city. And uh, the visiting person, like one of these visiting people from the missions organization came and he said, hey, let me come and show you. Let me introduce you to my flock. You know, let me introduce you to it. Because they'd really grown a, in a very difficult place. They'd grown a church and it was really, really wild. It was really a, what we would call like a network of churches. There was, you know, they had micro churches and they had a macro church and all this. And he said, let me come and I, I just want to take you to, I want to go, I want to let you meet our people, meet our flock. Because the Bible says, feed my sheep. And so he starts taking them out and he goes to this one place and they were just like of this other religion, completely lost, you know, and, uh, just did not know the Lord, just darkness. I mean, there was all this idolatry is one of these countries where the, the idolatry was more external than ours is internal. Takes them to another one. By the time they got to like the third place, and these were all unbelievers. And the person's like, hey, I thought you were going to take me to your flock. Like you, you, you need to shepherd the flock. He says, oh, well, I am. Like, this is my flock. He said, well, no, I mean like the Christians. He said, oh, no, I'll get, I'll get to them later. That's part of my flock too. But when you read... In the prophets, when the prophets condemned the false shepherds and they said, did you not know I called you to feed my sheep? And I think the American concept of feeding sheep is you get a bunch of Christians together and you do Bible studies that get them more knowledgeable about Christian trivia. But when you read that passage, it actually says, you false shepherds of Israel, you you did not seek the lost and you did not bring back those who had wandered away and you did not heal those that were broken. And and then it mentioned, it does mention some things that would sort of be like, Hey, go visit people in the hospital that are in your church and go take care of the flock. That's, you know, that, but he said, Hey, Ezekiel says like true shepherd. If I'm a real shepherd, I'm going to go where the good, that's why ultimately the message of Jesus is when he says, hey, you know what? You guys are never going to get this. I'm going to come, at the, even at the end of that chapter, he says, I'll come down and do it myself. Like, 
I'm gonna, which is why it was so stunning when Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd." Like, so when a church defines itself by mission, the sense of who are the sheep or the flock within that church is expanded. Yeah. So it's exactly, and and this is where I think the, this concept of the microchurch. When I hear people say sometimes, like, because recently I was trying to get someone to uh, really start a microchurch, and they said, "No, no, no, no." And here was their words: "I'm good. All my needs are being met." I'm in a group, I, I, I have a group that we've known since college and we get together and all our needs are met. To which I'm like, but Jesus said, feed my sheep. To which they're like, oh no, we are, we feed each other. I'm like, but when Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep, he says, Lord, I love you. He says, okay, feed my sheep. Peter's next move was not to get together and do Bible studies with 11 other disciples and say, hey guys, let's do a little Bible study on first me. You know, like, let's talk about that. His next move was mission. Like he went to the lost and to the least. And that is the that is a burden that I have, which is, I think there are. And if you ask me, and it was a question earlier, what's the difference between a small group and a microchurch? I've seen many small groups that I think they often have worship, and they often have community, but they're devoid of mission, and it's not church. And I've seen macro churches that have the exact same thing, but when we get God's heartbeat and we realize He's given us a mandate: if you love me, feed my sheep. I mean, His heart breaks for the sheep that are in the house, but also those that are not in the house. Lost. Some sheep are lost. Some sheep are lost. Some have wandered. When we talk, you know, whether whatever we're talking about, all the ex-evangelicals or all the people that have left the church, the leavers and the nuns. He said, if, if someone has wandered, he said, good shepherds, go bring them back. That's what they do. I don't think the macro church has the, the, the skills to pay the bills to do it. But I think micro churches can. I, I think there is a way in which if we got Father's heart, and at the end of the day, Following Jesus means loving Jesus, and it means getting his heart. Well, I think we'll call it a day on that one, and I want to thank you for joining us today and maybe challenge you to take a look at your ministry, your life, your church, and, and entertain the option. If you're not already a part of, of a microchurch, maybe you're supposed to start one, or if you are kind of growing a little bit dull in your microchurch uh, I don't know, activities and, and competencies and fluency that maybe it's a good season to pray. But I would encourage anyone listening to leave this and, and, and maybe pray this prayer. God, how are you calling me to help feed your sheep? And how might I be a part of joining you in that? And until next time, Mike Pass with Brian Sanders, Matt Ulrich. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. This conversation emphasizes the foundational role of microchurch within the macrochurch and details the missional importance of the microchurch. We are called to live together in worship, community, and mission. Through microchurch, we grow and mobilize one another to go and uniquely connect with those who have yet to know about Jesus. If you want more information about leading, starting, or just learning in general more about microchurches, check out microchurchconference.com. If this podcast impacted you, share it and leave a review. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date when the next episode releases. Until next time, live green. Live green.